Bible students were interested to see that just this last week, the Pope received the Prime Minister of the Ukraine. This is of real interest to us because it's another example of the Western Catholic Church meeting with a leader from Eastern Europe. As Christadelphians, we expect to see some form of unification of East and West at the time of the end. Therefore, events such as these are of particular interest. In fact, last month has been particularly interesting when we reflect on the activities of the papacy. At the beginning of the month, the Pope visited Iraq. This was of significance as it was the first visit the Pope has made to a foreign country following over a year of lockdown. Headlines such as Rome meets Babylon were shown across the world. And so we ask ourselves what the significance of Iraq is if the Pope has visited this place in the Bible and why would anyone be bothered about the Pope going to this place? Well, Iraq is a very ancient nation in which some exceptionally important and ancient civilizations began, none more so than places such as Nineveh, Ur and Babylon. All of these places are highly significant from a biblical point of view. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the place where Jonah the prophet wanted to avoid going to. Ur was the home of the patriarch Abraham. The Pope visited both these places in his trip to Iraq. It's Babylon, though, in Iraq, that perhaps has the greatest symbolic significance. The origins, you see, of the Kingdom of Babylon and all that it comes to stand for are essential for any Bible student to understand. Babylon, we're shown in the Genesis record, was founded by a man named Nimrod. In Genesis chapter 10, we read that Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the word before may suggest to us that he was respected by the Lord as a mighty hunter. How wrong that would be. Nimrod was a mighty hunter against God, and the Hebrew word can be translated as such. You see, he was a man who stood for everything that the God of the Bible detests, and wants those that love him to leave behind. The Genesis record tells us that Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter against the Lord. Wherefore it said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord, or against the Lord again, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kelnar, in this land of Shinar, out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh. So this man was a hunter against the Lord. What, do you, what does it mean? Well, he was actually a hunter of people who wanted to be faithful to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. We see in his actions a blueprint for the actions shown by the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. During the time of the Inquisition, they literally hunted all those who did not accept their belief system. This man Nimrod, the record makes clear, went on to build many ancient civilizations, including Babylon. The Genesis record goes on in chapter 11 to recount the story of the Tower of Babel. And Babel, by the way, is exactly the same word as the original as Babylon in the original as Babylon. So the Tower of Babel is the Tower of Babylon. And the record tells us that the builders wanted to make a name for themselves and so decided to build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Nimrod and those who followed him developed a mindset, a culture, and a religion set against the God of heaven. We note the religious systems that came out of Babylon were of particular note. Um, one website, you know, through some research, tells us that the Babylonians, in their popular religion, supremely worshipped a goddess mother and a son who was represented in pictures and in images as an infant or a child in the mother's arms. Following the death of Nimrod, Semiris had a son whom she named Tammuz. 
She claimed that her son was the resurrected Nimrod, or rather the sun god Baal. She further claimed that her son was conceived supernaturally and was the saviour promised in Genesis 3.15. In the religion that developed, not only was the child worship, but the mother as well. So out of this Babel, this Babylonish system of worship, came this worship of the mother and the child. Uh, other research sites tell us, according to ancient Egyptian and Babylonian traditions, his mother, that's Nimrod's mother, was Semiramis. Sometimes Semiramis is referred to as the mother of Nimrod and sometimes as his wife, leading to the belief that Nimrod married his mother. Even though Semiramis claimed to be a virgin, she had another son named Tammuz, who, was said, who, who she said was the reincarnation of Nimrod. She became known as the Virgin Mother, the Holy Mother, and the Queen of Heaven, heaven and was symbolised by the moon. So began the worship of Semiramis and the child god and the whole paraphernalia of the Babylonian religious system. So uh, amazing and something of real significance that this Babylonian religion ultimately becomes reflected in the Catholic Church. It's abundantly clear that these aspects of mother and child worship are perfectly reflected in the Christian faith of Rome. So the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church has evolved from this ancient religious system. John Cassian, writing in the 4th century, so over you know, one and a half thousand years ago, makes clear that the Roman Catholic position is, or what the Roman Catholic position is, on this doctrine. He says, now, you heretic, you say, whoever you are who deny that God was born of the Virgin." that Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, cannot be called the mother of God, but the mother only of Christ and not of God. For no one, you say, gives birth to one older than herself. And concerning this utterly stupid argument, that's proved by divine testimonies, both that Christ is God and that Mary is the mother of God. So by accepting the doctrine of the Trinity, which of course the Roman Catholic Church does and, and, and is pushed across most Christian denominations today, we're wrapped up in this Babylonian worship. So it's little wonder that true Bible students are so fascinated by the visit of the Pope to this place. It's this place in which we see the beginnings of a system of worship that's become the very bedrock in which the Roman Catholic Church has based their doctrines. In addition, the paradox of the Pope visiting this place, of all places, is that true Christians are exhorted through the Bible to have nothing to do with it and all that it stands for. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, who later became Abraham, is commanded by God to leave this place. So we've seen Genesis 10, Nimrod building it. We've seen Genesis 11, the Tower of Babylon, the Tower of Babel. And in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, get out of there. We read in Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred and from thy father's house, to a land that I will show thee. And 2,000 years, 2000 years or so later, when the writer to the Hebrews was inspired by God to, to write to the natural descendants of Abraham, he, he writes, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive from inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him at the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Bible then commends Abraham and holds him up an example of faith 
because he got out of the very place the Pope went to visit. He got out of there and went in faith looking for a city with true foundations. Babylon, however, went on to become the foundations of Rome. This isn't speculation based on a few similarities in religious identity. Rather, it was predicted in the Bible, and it's a fact. To see this outworking, we need to look at the prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, we read of a dream given to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar of an image of a man made up of different metals. The king, of course, is troubled by his dream, and no one in Babylon, the centre of worldly wisdom at the time, is able to tell him what he dreamt or what the dream would mean. Save one, Daniel. Uh, And Daniel is given both the dream and the interpretation by God. And he says to the king, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. The form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Daniel then goes on to explain what the image represents and means. He says, Thou, talking to Nebuchadnezzar, art this head of gold. So Babylon is the head of gold. He says, after thee will arise another kingdom inferior to thee, more earthy than thee, another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. Now that we understand through other prophecies in Daniel, like Daniel chapter 7, and for us it's easy because we can look back on world events. We recognise that after the Babylonians came the Medes and the Persians, after them came the Greeks, and then the Romans. So it's so important for Bible students to understand this, as only then can they truly appreciate that Rome and all of its trappings and ideologies came out of the thinking of Babylon. Thou art this head of gold, he said to Babylon, didn't he? So the Catholic Church came out of Rome. It's the Roman Catholic Church. It's of no surprise that so much of the religion of ancient Babylon is reflected in the religion of Rome. We note that there were two arms to the image. You know, you think of a man, the head of gold is Babylon, then after that, the two arms of silver, they represented the Medes and the Persians. Then you had the Greeks, and then there were two legs. And the legs of iron were Rome. Remarkably, the image is such an accurate representation of the history of each empire, because during the 300s, Rome split into two, the Eastern and Western empires. Later, there was another major split in the history of Rome, as not only did she politically split in two, but religiously also. The Western Empire was ruled from Rome and affiliated to the Pope and the Church of Rome, but the Eastern Empire became the Eastern Orthodox Church. It became known as the Great Schism. In 1064, the religious systems of Rome split into East and West. Perhaps we might ask the question, why a millennium later... Would we find this of any interest? Well, the Roman Empire, of course, didn't last forever. The Western leg as a political empire collapsed in the year 476 AD to the barbarian hordes that broke down the Roman Empire. The Eastern leg, however, of the empire lived on for another thousand years or so until that also collapsed from the Ottoman Turks coming into the empire in the year 1453. The Holy Roman Empire, which was... Uh, an affiliation of nations um, under the Pope in Rome. Um, That lasted a little longer until the early 1800s, when due to 
the French Revolution, it collapsed. So the feet and toes of the image reflect this. So head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and then feet, part of iron, part of clay. You see, the iron of Rome lived on without having the power it once did as an empire. Yet the events of the French Revolution changed the countries of Europe to become ordinary democracies ruled by ordinary men and women, the clay. Even today, we see the uncomfortable conflict between the iron and the clay. There was a headline on November the 2nd last year um, saying, French tradition of secularism is based on the strict separation between church and state. So the challenge in European countries, shown in this headline in France, is the difficulty of the church, the iron of Rome, and the state, the clay. The iron, the clay, you see, can't mix. And this is the days that we live in. We live at the point in history that's right at the end of the toes of that image. The dream went on to explain what would happen at the time of the end to these kingdoms. It says, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. That, of course, is... The legs of iron, the belly and thighs of brass, the chest and arms of silver, the head of gold. It will destroy all those kingdoms and it, the kingdom of God, will stand forever. We note something else about the falling of this great image, shown in verse 34. It says, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. That is do you notice that the image is destroyed when standing on his feet? So this means that at the time of the end, when the stone which is cut out of the mountain without hands, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is sent back to the earth to smash the image to pieces, the image is standing up. And that's why, as Bible students, we're so fascinated by visits such as the one made this week, by the Prime Minister of Ukraine to Rome, when he's gone to visit the Pope. You see, for the image to stand up, the eastern and western legs must communicate and stand to become a joint force. So the signs of the times make clear that the time will soon be on us when the stone cut out of the mountain without hands will be sent back to earth to destroy that image and all of the thinking of Babylon. So what shall we do today? Well, the call of the gospel to the faithful through the ages is to leave that system of worship. In Revelation 18, we read of that call. In Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5, we read, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins. That's come out of Babylon. That ye receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. The irony, of course, is not lost on us, in that just this month, the Pope chose to return to this place. No wonder the headline writers told us, Rome meets Babylon. A few, perhaps, understood the significance of this visit. The Pope took great delight in returning to the ancestral home of Abraham. 
But for true Bible believers, we need to get out of everything that's caught up with the thinking of Babylon, seen in the religion of Rome. As Nimrod's Tower of Babel reached to heaven, so have her sins. And so as Christadelphians, we implore you to act today. Before the stone returns to smite the image, leave behind the systems of Babylon and Rome and open and read your Bible. This has been Peter Owen joining you for Bible in the News.